It's time for John Paul, the car doctor, on North Shore 1049. Call today with your car questions, comments, or concerns. 1-800-370-1049. That's 1-800-370-1049. John Paul, the car doctor. Welcome to the Car Doctor Radio Program on North Shore 1049. My name is John Paul, and from time to time, I get to talk to interesting people. Jamie Brewer, she is the vehicle chief engineer at General Motors, and especially for the Cadillac Lyric. Jamie, thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, John. Well, the Cadillac Lyric is Cadillac's all-electric vehicle. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, so the, the Cadillac Lyric is um, is Cadillac's very first all-electric vehicle. And it's the first vehicle off of what's uh, been known previously as our BEV3, which is our third generation of dedicated EV architecture. So it will be um, a two-row SUV, five-seat vehicle, um, with a 100-kilowatt-hour uh, battery pack. It has about 300 miles of range on a full charge. Um, but it will be a Cadillac. It will have all of the bells and whistles and all of the creature comforts and the luxury and the styling that is expected of a Cadillac. It um, comes with our new Altium platform, so it will have the new Altium um, battery chemistry as well as the drive units and the integrated power electronics that I'm sure you've heard so much about and that are rolling out across um, GM electric vehicle products, including the Hummer. Um, but we will be the first Cadillac with it. Unlike the Hummer, though, it doesn't have 10,000 foot-pounds of torque, does it? It does not have 10,000 foot-pounds of torque. It has uh, 440 newton meters of torque, though, so it's still pretty good at 340 horsepower. And that's on the rear-wheel drive variant. We will eventually be bringing in an all-wheel drive variant, and we'll have some more numbers to share on all-wheel drive. So if you think about the, the Hummer, um, they have more drive units stacked up, and they also have more um, battery modules stacked up to get the, the energy and to get the power for the Hummer. And given the weight of the vehicle, it makes sense, right? And you you described the size of the battery. It's a pretty substantial size battery in this, which I guess really leads to that 300 miles or so of range. Correct. It's a 100 kilowatt hour battery pack. Um, if you think about it in terms of modules, if you look at the way the Altium battery system has been engineered, it's been engineered in a very modular fashion. So we are able to stack and scale our batteries um, for small vehicles all the way up to the Hummer. So from a module perspective, our, um, our battery packs can handle anywhere from six modules, eight, 10, 12. The Hummer has 26 modules. Um, on the, the Lyrics launch vehicle, it will be a 12 module battery pack and that equates to about 100 kilowatt hours of energy. And is it is it a vehicle that's gonna be sold specifically in the United States or is it gonna be a vehicle that's sold worldwide? It, it's gonna be a global vehicle. So it has, been, it has been revealed in the United States. It has also been revealed in China. It is launching in the United States first, but then it will start becoming available globally. And is it basically the same car that would be here as say like in China? Yes, uh, with the exception of any regulatory differences that may be required. Um, yes, uh, our goal is a global common product. Cadillac is a, is a global brand and the brand value of Cadillac is important to maintain from a consistency perspective. 
So when you get into the vehicle in the U.S. or you get into the vehicle in China, it will be a Cadillac. And um, to kind of put it in size perspective, sort of XT5-ish? Is that... uh, Longer wheelbase Okay. and, and slightly wider, but yes. Okay. So not quite an Escalade. Not quite an Escalade, okay. no. Nope, but it, so it's it's a it's a we would call it an expressive, uh, Lux three segment, if you will, SUV. Um, low sloped roofline, still a nice wide stance. Um, tons of interior um, occupant space as well as cargo space. Lots of room axle to dash when you take a look at the front end you're going to see a lot of axle to dash you're going to notice a lot of front uh passenger compartment space we did a lot of things in the design and the development of the battery pack and the way that we did our transmission shifters to really open up the space in the passenger compartment for the occupant so it's, it's going to feel extremely spacious to you but i would take an xt5 slightly more wheelbase slightly more um, width and that's that's what you're looking at from a size perspective and um, this is a big part of Cadillac and General Motors' push to go all electric. Yep. Um, the date, I think, is 2035? Uh, we expect 30 new global EVs by 2025. And then, yeah, we want to go all electric. I be- believe 2035 is the date, but don't quote me on that. I don't have yep. that off the top of my head. But, but yeah, significant push. Um, to go all electric within General Motors and this uh, third generation uh, battery electric platform that that the Lyric is based off of as well as the Ultium drive and the Ultium battery system is really the cornerstone of that. And then Lyric has the um, prestige of being the first vehicle off that platform. And you mentioned batteries quite a few times and um, how about battery production? Where where is it? Where are the batteries coming from? Is it is it uh, General Motors that's producing their own batteries? You're buying them separately. How's it? How's that work? Yeah, so we have the um, joint venture now with um, LG Chem. So LTM sells LLC, which is the joint venture now between General Motors and LG Chem. We are producing batteries through that joint venture. We have already announced a battery manufacturing site in Lordstown, Ohio. Um, we had just recently, last couple of weeks, announced a second battery production site in Spring Hill, Tennessee. And the, the Cadillac Lyric vehicle has actually been announced to be produced in Spring Hill, Tennessee as well. So we are setting up our um, vertical integration strategy, if you will, to make sure that we have batteries that we produce and that we own with LG Chem and make sure that our supply chain is robust to our vehicle builds. And some people have... You know, there's there's range anxiety fears mm-hmm. with electric vehicles. There's safety fears with electric vehicles. Uh, 300 miles of range seems to be, in my mind, seems to be that magic number that 300 miles can take you more places than you probably ever need to go on on any given day. Um, is that is that was that the number that you were sort of shooting for based on? Uh, some conversations you've had with potential customers? Yeah, absolutely. I I would, I'll tell you, you know, every major decision we've made as we've been developing both the the third generation EV platform as well as the LTM system and the Lyric in general has been based on customer clinics and conversations with our customer base. We, as well as leveraging our 25 years of EV experience, right? If you think about General Motors history, We've been doing electric vehicles now for a very long time, 
as well as haves and p haves, et cetera. So we have a lot of knowledge in there. But um, we have spent significant time surveying our customers and talking to uh, current EV drivers as well as EV considerers. We know that um, a typical average daily commute is about 40 miles. So when you look at a vehicle with 300 miles of range, when you look at a vehicle with the DC fast charging rates that we've got, I mean, we can DC fast charge up to 190 kilowatts. You can get 195 miles of range in half an hour. So when you look at the, the type of daily driving that our customers have and you look at the speed with which we've enabled charging, um, we thought that 300 miles of range was sort of that sweet spot where we're able to provide them with um, with the capability that they needed in a vehicle and still get to a price point that we thought was appropriate for the vehicle that we were delivering to the market. And uh, let's think about the range and the recharge time for a little bit. A 300 mile range, you're not gonna go to zero, but you're gonna find a place to recharge. You're gonna stop and have lunch somewhere mm-hmm. and at where there's DC fast charging, and you're gonna put another 200 miles into that car. So this is easily, pick your stops a little bit, but this is easily a car you could drive from New England to Florida, uh, just finding your stops along the way. Yeah, and we're gonna help you find those spots. We, we have an energy assistance app within the vehicle where you can map out your route and it will it will recommend to you, based on your preferences, um, where to stop to charge at what my, you know, what your range will be at certain points in time along the route, where there is a, um, a charge network along your route. You can specify the, the, t- the type of charger if you want to use the EV Go, if you're a certain type of charger that you want to use. Do you want a level two charge? Do you want a DC fast charge? You can put all of those requests and criteria right into the onboard app and it will recommend for you. It will even tell you if there's chargers currently in use or chargers currently available to you. So you so we, we're taking all of that guesswork out of it to really help you plan your trip um, with some confidence so that you're not waiting around um, for a charger. We'll help guide you to where you need to get to so you can charge your vehicle and be on your way. And um, my kind of EV research has shown that a lot of people are going to just charge at home. They're going to set up yeah. charging stations at home, uh, in their garages or wherever. Mm-hmm. Um, is that kind of what your research has shown as well? Yeah, it has. Um, a high percentage of charging will happen first at home and second at work. Um, with the on-the-go charging probably being third. Um, The at-home charging that we're offering, and and we are uh, offering uh, highest by industry standards, we're going to offer up to 19.2 kilowatt level two um, AC charging at home. So that is, that's that's the highest level two home charging available by the industry. And you can also obviously still use a 7.2, you can use an 11 kilowatt but to go as high as 19.2 kilowatts, you're going to get some, somewhere around 52 miles an hour um, when you're plugged in at home, which which is significant compared to EVs on the road today. I just need to make sure I have enough electricity in my house for that, right? Yeah, you got to make sure yeah. that your that the amperage you've got coming out to your garage is suited to the kilowatts that you want, right? But right. Um, GM, if you go to um, I think it's Chevy Living Electric, they will actually help guide you as far as what amperage you need um, for what kilowatt and make recommendations even on service providers and um, units to purchase. Oh, that's that's, that's great information to know. And and again, the idea of 
this is not just an electric car, it's an electric Cadillac, and yes. you get in a Cadillac and you expect a certain level of luxury, and um, the last Cadillac I was in also had Cadillac Super Cruise, which was yep. pretty phenomenal. We'll see Super Cruise in the Lyric? Absolutely. In fact, our first year of production, Super Cruise will be standard. So um, we're very excited. We'll have the, the, the next-gen Super Cruise that you're seeing now in the Escalade. It'll have the lane change on demand. It'll have all the latest functions and features um, within it. And, um, yeah, Super Cruise, it, it's one of my favorite features. I really enjoy driving with it. Um, if you've seen any of the commercials that have been out there lately with uh, celebrities that are using it for the first time and really enjoying uh, the safety features of it as well as just the convenience and comfort of it. Um, you're going to start seeing more and more Super Cruise, I think. But yeah, for sure on the Lyric. Yeah. And it really, and and Super Cruise, we, don't, we know it's not going to take the place of the driver behind the wheel, but all of a sudden you become part of that driving team. So you're the driver, the car is helping you, and the mm -hmm. safety system all work together to make it to make it a, a safe trip when you're out on the road so that's one of them but then there's the creature comforts inside a Cadillac mm -hmm. and the last Cadillac I was in had and say an enormous display screen took took up the yeah. whole dash and it was yep. seamless and beautiful and it was well done is that the type of features we're going to see inside the Lyric Oh, absolutely. So um, actually, the, the infotainment screen in the Lyric is probably one of my favorite features. It's going to be a 33-inch diagonal advanced LED display. It is going to have the highest pixel density in the industry. You're going to have more than a billion colors available on this screen. Um, so the entire, from the cluster all the way through um, the ICS area, the integrated center stack area, is going to be one large curved LED screen. It will be um, touch-based as well as having a multifunctional controller in the um, console area. So you'll be able to control your um, your screen from a variety of different ways, as well as steering wheel control. So we're going to give the user a lot of options for how they want to control their content. Um, you'll have a lot of opportunity to um, you know, move apps around, set up your home screen the way you like, set up your um, all of your different search functions and um, settings and There'll be it will be quite intuitive and also very interactive. It it sounds it sounds amazing, and we have high tech features, mm -hmm. we have high tech drivetrain, mm -hmm. but we still one of the things that we still count on with Cadillac is comfortable interior, comfortable seats, and Cadillac ride. And are we going to see that in the Lyric as well? Yeah, I would say so. If we start with the seats, and seats happens to be a passion of mine because I've spent a lot of my career actually working in that area of the vehicle. And um, I will tell you, I'm extremely proud of the seats that you're going to have in this vehicle. We have um, cut no corners here. These seats, they are brand new seat architecture, just like the vehicle is a brand new architecture. It was the perfect time for us to start with a clean sheet of paper on the seats as well. We've made sure that from a width perspective, we made sure that from a foam thickness and density um, and firmness perspective, we are tuning these seats in to be some of our most comfortable ever. And I think that when you get in the vehicle and you drive it, you'll notice that. Um, from a ride and handling perspective though, um, I gotta tell you the pre-production vehicles I've been in so far and we're still in the tuning phases, but these are some of the most comfortable, um, easy riding I'll say vehicles, but also just road hugging and fun to drive. And a lot of that is attributed 
to the battery pack. If you think about all of that center of gravity so low in the vehicle, and part of the reason our stance is so wide is because we took the battery pack all the way out to the rockers, and we made the battery enclosure actually a structural member of the vehicle's chassis. So we've got all, all that inherent stiffness now from the battery pack right up into the vehicle structure. And so when you turn and when you corner, you're getting that great road hugging experience, but you're also getting, you know, we've got the five link independent um, suspension in the rear, the five link SLA in the front. We did all of that from the ground up again, because this was a blank piece of paper. So from a ride and a handling perspective, we've really, um, we've tuned this in quite a bit already, even in the pre-production phase. And so now we're doing the fine tuning details, I would say. And it sounds like there's almost every aspect of this vehicle that you've been somehow involved with somewhere away, somewhere along the line. And you can tell how passionate you are about the car, which is, which is fantastic. Um, even in the simplest ways, I will say, I really like the idea that Cadillac brought a name back to the model mm -hmm. rather than, rather than an alphanumeric designation i like I, I just maybe it's maybe it's a generational thing but i like the idea of names so it was, i was happy to see that um the idea of an electric vehicle that is that offers everything that people would normally see in an internal combustion vehicle is is fantastic to see including that range and that home charging the display inside uh, really bringing cadillac name to I think where it needs to be and, and just being a, a phenomenal vehicle. Um, it's a pre-production vehicle now. It was introduced just a week or 10 days ago. Um, how soon before we actually see production vehicles and how soon before we go to the Cadillac dealer or buy one? Yeah, so um, so what we revealed is is what the production vehicle will be. It's, it's off our pre-production build facilities right now as we continue to ramp up. But we expect to launch in the first quarter of next year. So we'll start getting them. Um, you'll start seeing them in late spring next year. I well, think in September, we'll start taking reservations. So September reservations on sale, hopefully first quarter of 2022. Um, mm -hmm. Has there been any kind of prices announced yet? Yes, um, 15, $59,995, I think, is the number that I heard for the first gen, for the first um launch variant that's coming out so very yeah yeah Not, so it's a, it's a so, nice price point yeah that, that's a, i i based on everything you told me up to this point i was going to guess it 10 to fifteen thousand dollars higher mm -hmm. you know yep. so that's that's fantastic yep. news if people want to keep up with cadillac or our general motors electric vehicle efforts where can they go can they is there yeah, a website um, well general motors.com yeah, so if you go right to generalmotors.com, it will direct you to all of our various brand sites. But at the Cadillac.com site, there is a specific Lyric page that you can go to. It'll show you all the latest images, interior and exterior. It gives you a lot of the specs that I just talked through today in more detail. And it gives you opportunities to, to um, communicate and ask questions even about the Lyric and get some more information. So, um, And then again, on the Chevy Living Electric site, is where you can get a lot more information about our um, our char commitment to helping to build the charging infrastructure and some recommendations we might have if you want to um, put a charging station in your home. Fantastic. Let's take another break. My name's John Hall. This is the Car Doctor Program. You're listening on North Shore 104.9. We'll be right back.
Happy New Year from Gerard Moynihan, the Moynihan family, and the staff at Moynihan Lumber. Hi, folks. This is Gerard Moynihan of Moynihan Lumber. And on behalf of my brothers, Michael and Jack, and all of us here at Moynihan's, I want to thank the members of our armed forces, the Army, Air Force, Navy, Marine Corps, and Coast Guard for the sacrifices they are making at this time. Their service, 24-7 every day, allows us to celebrate the holidays in peace and freedom. Moynihan Lumber, we measure up. Have you wanted to speak a new language but thought it'd be too difficult or take too much time? Then try Babbel. In just 15 minutes a day, Babbel teaches you conversations that you will actually use. With 14 languages and lesson topics like travel, business, relationships, and more, you'll learn what matters most to you. Babbel. Language for life. Learn a new language with ease. Go to Babbel.com to try for free. That's B-A-B-B-E-L.com. Welcome back to the Car Doctor Radio Program on North Shore 104.9. With us is Ford's Chief Futurist, Cheryl Conley. And I love the title. What exactly is a Chief Futurist? And can you pick lottery numbers? Oh, I wish I could pick lottery numbers. Um, You know, I find that the easiest way to describe what a futurist is is by describing what it isn't. I cannot predict the future. And in fact, ironically, my job is to remind people that no one can predict the future. And we will face things that are unexpected, that are disruptive, that are transformative. And for a business standpoint, my job is to try to help people think long-term and challenge the status quo so that when we come up with a plan, it's resilient enough to weather those types of disruptions that are inevitable. So um, recently, I was involved with a survey. We were looking to see sort of what automotive customers are looking for these days. And a lot of customers, whether they can do anything about it right away or not, are concerned about the environment. Are you finding similar things with um, some of the studies that you're doing? Absolutely. So with regard to the work that my team and I do is that we don't look at automotive specifically. We look outside the automotive industry because, of course, there's no shortage of expertise inside of Ford. What we try to do is look at social, technological, economic, environmental and political forces that will shape consumer values in the future to help us prepare, like to innovate in ways that no one else has yet to imagine. And that's really hard to do because a lot of people struggle to comprehend, like, the distant future and natural human nature is such that we are comfortable with things that we can't control. In fact, our research showed that 31% of people worldwide told us that they didn't feel mentally prepared for the future. And when we start talking about the future, the planet, I think is almost at the top of the list. You know, if you follow kind of conventional wisdom, we are headed towards a future in 2035, we'll be at eight and a half billion people. By 2040, we'll be at 9 billion. And by 2050, during our collective lifetime, we'll be at 10 billion people. And that gives us lots of reason to be concerned. Um, If we stay on the current trajectory, it means that we'll get to a point where the demand for food, water, energy will be outpacing supply. And how might we deal with that? So automakers around the world, like Ford, are are really deeply concerned about this. And with good reason, I mean, you talk to the general population, 81% say that climate change makes them worry about their children's future. And this is why Ford has 
invested, uh, committed to investing $30 billion on electric vehicles and other sustainability initiatives. In fact, for the first time recently, we just did um, an unprecedented move where we came up with uh, a $2.5 billion um, green bond. It's the largest bond in U.S. history. And what we're hoping to do is use that money for things that are not necessarily always related to the automobile. Like how can we change manufacturing? What does it mean for our facilities? How we operate? Um, and this is not new for us. You know, those people who know Bill Ford, our executive chairman and the great grandson of Henry Ford, he's always said, I have two great passions. One is automobiles and the other is environment. And he likes to find ways to make those two things live in harmony. Yeah, it makes sense. And I think, isn't the roof of one factory, isn't it almost like a little farm up there? Isn't there grass growing on top of the roof of a factory or something? We do. We have, yeah. we have the Rouge, the Rouge plant is where we produce the F-150. Um, and it, at one point in time, was the greenest manufacturing facility in the world. It has a, it has a sealed roof, so it can do water filtration as water goes through. So, And then we also do a rain collection in our parking lot and then try to recycle all of that water into uh, whatever operations that we can as it relates to manufacturing. And even the F-150, which is the most iconic vehicle in our lineup, of course, we have just transitioned it to electric. So we, you know, we'll continue to offer the traditional internal combustion engine, but the F-150 Lightning, um, I think is going to take the market by storm. I think our retail orders are outpacing um, our capacity. So it's very exciting to see that the customers, when they can, when they, it's clear for the manufacturer that you can take on an electric vehicle without having any compromise, still have mileage and muscle, you can still have performance, power um, with an EV, I think it makes for a very bright future for EVs. So much to the point that I think Ford has announced that we will be the number two um, manufacturer of EVs by the end of next year. When, and this sounds almost like a silly question, it probably is, I know the future is tomorrow, but when you look at the future, how far out do you look? I remember talking to somebody from a electronics company, and they literally had a thousand-year plan. Now it got pretty vague once you got past, you know, ten years or so. But when you think about the future and whether that future involves the world as we know it, whether the future involves outside of the planet that we know, how how far out? do you look and how far out does Ford look when it talks about the future? So I would say that in one of the functions that looks at the distant future for Ford, so we can go out to 2050. And it is a, it's a um, academic exercise in terms of logic and imagination, trying to say like, if this were to happen, what could happen? You know, what might respond? For, for instance, you know, the way we do a lot of scenario thinking and I won't be the first person afford to say like, what happens if oil were to hit, let's say $300 a barrel? Most people in the industry would say, well, what would that mean for sales? In my world, we say, well, I'm not interested in that yet. I wanna know who are the political winners and losers if that were to happen? And in the winning regions, what does that mean for the economics versus the losing regions? How might they affect, how might that impact the rich, the poor, um, the middle class, the old, the young? What sort of technology will emerge in those contexts? Will it be garage innovation or will it be heavily funded venture capital? Uh, what 
type of policies will be put in place and will government use a carrot or a stick to encourage behavior and so these are this is how those are the fundamentals of future thinking and so we use our annual trend report to kind of get morsels of information to kind of build our imaginary scenarios on it so for instance um we asked uh people in 15 different countries about uh, the future of the flying car. And 38% of men said that they think that they will see uh, a flying car during their lifetime. Uh, we also ask, you know, when do you believe that humans will have to tap into other planets to sustain it, mankind's future? 60% of the people worldwide agreed with that statement. Now, the interesting is, is that in the United States, we were less likely to agree slightly, but still the majority were at 51%. Um, I think there's something really powerful in trying to understand why are there geographical differences? Why do they differ by gender? Why do they differ by age? So if I look again at that same question, um, men are much more likely to agree with that statement than women. 57% believe that we'll have to tap into other planets. We're only 47% of women. Like, I don't know exactly why, but that gap is something that we think is worth trying to explore and understand better. That's that's really interesting. And were there some things when you and when you asked the questions that really surprised you? There were there any categories of things that you know as as you were looking around the country and around the world that you looked at and you went, "Wow, I didn't think people thought that way about a particular item." Well, I think one thing that was a surprise to us was the number of people that said in the future children will not need to learn how to drive. So if you look at the youngest generation, so we're gonna call those Generation Z, otherwise known as Zoomers, 18 to 24 years of age, we have 32% saying that children today have no reason to learn how to drive. Like that's one third mm. of them. And so in a mobility company, that's a really interesting proposition. Um, we also ask questions about autonomous vehicles. You know, What's the general attitude about autonomous vehicles? And we know that people tell us that they'd rather their child ride in a self-driving vehicle um, than ride with a stranger. Like 60, 60 plus percent of adults agree with that statement. Um, we also know that 45% of people worldwide say they actually think that in the future they're going to feel safer in an autonomous driving or self-driving vehicle than they do um, behind uh, driving with a human driven vehicle. Mm. So there, I think there's a lot of faith and optimism and hope about where this technology is headed. One of the concerns that people have, and it could be with electric vehicles or vehicles in general, is overall cost. Um, when you were, when you're looking in the future, is there a point with costs that some people say, I might not be able to afford a new car? I, I think that's always top of mind for Ford. You know, I think we think when you think about Henry Ford's legacy, he wanted to democratize technology to make the desirable accessible. And when we think about our current purpose, it's to build a better world where people are free to follow, free to move and follow their dreams. But that has to have access is going to be a big part about it. And so we're looking at different models of what that could look like, what form that could take. And sometimes, you know, mobility could take the form of a bicycle or a scooter or public transportation. Even Bill Ford said in 2011, when he gave a, a very well-known TED talk, he said, I've gotten to a point in my life, I've begun to worry what happens if we continue to sell as many cars as possible. I mean, who does that serve if we're all stuck in gridlock? 
Mm. So we, one question we asked is kind of tied to this, not so much about the price sensitivity. And, and we do have teams like economists inside the company that are much better versed on that topic. But we asked people if the monthly cost was similar, would you rather use a vehicle sharing service that gave you access to many vehicles across the time of a month? Or would you rather own your own vehicle? And people about one in five said that they would rather have access to multiple vehicles rather than owning their own. So we think like the subscription model, you know, is an intriguing one. Cause you know, I don't know about you, my husband and I were a family of four and we find ourselves uh, buying cars for our lowest common denominator in terms of usage. Like for those couple times a year that we drive to go visit family six hours away mm. and pack everything we own in it. But at the same time, my husband drives that vehicle often by himself 90% of the time. But during those two weeks, we love it. We can't live without it. Yeah. So we wonder, like, what's the future look like where we don't have to make those choices? That's that's an interesting point. Although, uh, and maybe it's just a function of my age. Um, the the kind of subscription model to me seems a little bit off because people love their cars. They name their cars, and the idea that somebody can't get in the car that they find familiar every single day sometimes makes me think that it's an interesting concept that you could use kind of the car you need when you need it but on the other hand i think people really do love their cars i know people that when they sell the car that they've been driving for six or seven or eight years they shed a little tear because they've been they've been in their car more than they've been in bed i gotta tell you i love this this discussion because we actually asked that question so what we found is worldwide, 42% uh, of adults said that they had given their vehicle a nickname, that they felt that sort of affection and affinity. Um, trying to see if there's any sort of gender split. In the U.S., it's more likely for women to give their vehicle a nickname than men, um, 45 to 39%. But your second, your second remark, um, which I totally know exactly how you feel about this um, being sad, feeling nostalgic when you had to move on to another car, get rid of a vehicle. 65% of people worldwide agreed with that statement. They mm. know that like shedding that tear because we have such an intimate relationship with automobiles. Now, the thing I, as a futurist that I do is to kind of constantly challenge the status quo. And for a certain generation, baby boomers specifically, the car was such an extension of their identity. It was the ultimate status symbol. And when you got your first car, it was the gateway purchase into adulthood. You know, it was the expression of freedom and independence embodied in four wheels. But today, when we talk to young people, I think only about 4% of them say that buying a car is what defines adulthood. For most people, what defines adulthood is when you um, are financially independent from your parents. And as a parent of two um, young women, that goes well to, that seemingly is going to go well into its 20s. Um, I think there's some research that say that a lot of millennials say it doesn't happen until they're 30. Uh, so I'm, I'm trying to save as much money as I can. Yeah. Uh, so there is something changing. You know, the youngest generation doesn't necessarily feel that same sort of emotional connection to automobiles. It's not the quintessential quintessential status symbol that it once was. Um, they don't see it as their, their gateway purchase into adulthood either. And so we just have to make sure that we're making room 
for that changing mindset. There, you know, but of course there'll always be a space, you know, room in our heart for those people who love cars, just like right. most of us within Ford does. Yeah. And when you look at some of these numbers that some of the youngest potential buyers don't think owning an automobile is that important and maybe it makes more sense to focus more on the environment or focus more on mass transit or something like that. How do you go to the CEO and say, hey, you know what? Cars and trucks might not be the next big thing for Ford. Well, I think that that's a conversation that's been taking place inside of the company for a very, very long time. And like I said, even Bill Ford has been saying we have to get ourselves ready for change. What is that expression? You know, um, hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. Mm. That's really what Futuring is all about, is trying to say like, hey, if there was this attitudinal shift, if in consumer mindsets, they change the relationship they have with automobiles today, do our plans still work? And if they don't, what do we need to adjust to make sure that they're resilient enough to weather that sort of consumer preference change? Um, and I think, you know, you see for the, the types of partnerships we've done in recent years with regard to uh, scooters and bicycles and even, even the AV space. So we are going to be piloting um, package delivery in cities like Miami uh, through autonomous vehicles. So there is definitely a focus too on not just the retail customer, but the commercial customer, the small businesses, the small fleets, the deliveries. Um, COVID has proven us one thing for sure is that people have turned the faucet on full as a as far as it's concerned in terms of buying things online. And so I think that is part of what's influencing our new strategic shifts. When you look at the future the way you do, um, is there is there part of sort of the projections that become maybe even a little bit frustrating sometimes you kind of look at it and go uh, uh, that isn't what i expected or is there future are you just gathering facts all the time and trying to funnel through them and kind of see see where where things are going to go so we're less interested in terms of what's happening we're much more interested in why it's happening okay you know what's behind that where does that come from and there was there were a couple things that caught my attention um in this this round of uh report so for instance, um, we looked at identity and belonging. What does the future of identity and belonging look like uh, moving forward? And there is a very large number of the population, 50% of adults worldwide believe that um, racial and ethnic equality will be achieved in their lifetime. And, you know, I certainly hope that there, you know, that gives me some hope that things could change. Um, we also know that there are a large number of People that say like they just think that marriage will become an outdated concept that there's that um young people i want to say 44 percent of generation z say that marriage will become out, outdated by the year 2035 so less than 15 years wow. from now which is which really kind of pushes on your notions about like the family structure um what they're most worried about we saw a good number of people that said that they don't want to have children. In the U.S., we have 43% of 18 to 24-year-olds saying no. Mm. No. I mean, that's crazy. And then when we dug a little deeper, we said, like, why? What What might you answer no to that question? Can you help us understand why? And we gave them multiple, multiple answers from which they could choose. They didn't have to just choose one. Um, 
60% of them said they were too expensive. Amen. I, so true. <laughs> so true. Um, 53% said it's too much stress. Um, so 60% it's just not interested. 6% um, said it was because they were concerned about the planet. Uh, and 3% said it was because they were concerned about the impact it would have on their career. But there are some notions that are that I think are really, really changing. Uh, and those are going to have really long-term implications, not just in the automotive industry, but on life as we know it. That All those statistics sound a little selfish. Now, maybe or maybe not. 40% yeah. of women that said no, that they don't want to have children, said that it's because they're concerned about climate change, the impact uh, it'll have on okay. climate 81% of people of all ages say that they worry about children's future because of climate change. So it isn't just they're too much work or yeah. they're too expensive. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's like the army. It's that it's that army slogan. It's the hardest job you'll ever love. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly, exactly. So, um, so I guess the final question is sort of when you're all done, what are you doing with all this information? So I think that the role of a futurist, um, you know, at the title is is as exotic as it sounds. I I think it would be better served if we referred to ourselves as the flight contrarian. He's a big part of what we're trying to do is teach the organization to expect the unexpected. And we do that in part by challenging conventional norms, the conventional wisdom, what are the cultural values, the um, status quo, business as usual. And this gives us lots of fodder to kind of say, hey, we went and asked people and here's what they said. You know, it's a moment in time, but if this were to play out to any sort of extended period, what would that mean for our business? Well, Cheryl, I want to thank you for taking a little time out of your day and joining us. Uh, it was fascinating. Oh, thank you. It's really my pleasure. If you or your audience want to learn more about it, they can go to FordTrends.com and check out some of the other material that we didn't cover. Let's take another break. My name's John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. You're listening on North Shore 104.9. We'll be right back. Lionwa Auto Group is now hiring. There are dozens of employment opportunities available in any of their eight dealerships located in Peabody, Burlington, Nashua, and Bedford, New Hampshire. Consider a position as an entry-level or experienced technician, sales or sales support, finance, valets, and more. Lionwa Auto Group is an award-winning dealer group who gives back to the communities in which they serve. Join the Lionwa team where employees are valued and recognized. For more details, visit lwagcareers.com. That's lwagcareers.com. You date like you aren't 22 anymore. Like, emotionally mature is kind of hot to you now. And six texts sent back-to-back -back is totally cool. You date like your experiences, relationships, they haven't just made you you, they made you interesting. Young love was great, but dating as a fully formed, emotionally mature human? Man, that's on a whole other level. Download the Match app today.
and welcome back to the Car Doctor program on North Shore 1049, our phone number 800 370 1049 if you'd like to join us. Bob, the fastest guy that I know, Bob Tasca. Thanks for joining us. It's always great to be on with you. You caught me at a good time. Give us a little idea about the speeds. You know, you were you were what, 328 miles an hour this weekend? Yeah, we ran um uh we ran 331.77 miles per hour in the first round we ended the day it got a little warmer so we had to slow it down a little bit uh, but it ran 328 change in the finals it's you know i always tell people it's it's not even the speed that makes what we do so remarkable it's it's how quick the cars are so to put into perspective john you know fast cars out there so like a mustang gt500 is you know zero to 60 in the low three second barrier now, those are some of the quickest times, you know, on the street. You know, we'll do zero to 60 and a half second, 0.5. And we'll do zero to 100 in under a second, 0.8 of a second. And that's what's really remarkable about these um, these nitro funny cars is just how quick they are. So we'll accelerate to, you know, I, I ran last year, uh, no, two years ago, ran 335 miles an hour in just over uh three seconds it's uh, pretty remarkable you know when i watch the races on tv or the couple of times i've been up to new hampshire um the timing that it takes watching the watching the lights change and be able to take off um it, it, the races are the are won and lost then as well right yeah. no, i mean reaction time these days has become a huge part of winning because the crew chiefs can get us close, and there's so many great crew chiefs out there and teams, and it, it comes down to the driver. A lot of times it comes down to the driver, and you know, someone asked me one time, you know, what do you think about right before you hit the throttle? And for me, it's not about living or dying, it's winning. The only yep. thing going through my head in that moment is winning. And I think if you're thinking about anything else, you know, you know, is the car gonna be okay? Is it gonna blow up? Is it? If you're thinking about anything else other than completely focused on that light, you're you're not going to have a good re reaction time. And you know sometimes people see me. I could actually fall asleep in the car. Like if there's an oil down and I'm sitting in there longer than normal, I could fall asleep in the car. And and I think when you can get totally relaxed and and not tight in any way. And you can just let your body react. Because the bottom line is, John, the human brain, I've studied this, we all see the light at the same time. The actual light going into the eye, into the breath, that happens at the same time for, for pretty much anybody who, who walks on the planet. Yep. From processing it and getting your foot to actually move, that is what's different. And, and I believe it comes down to the, the 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 subconscious ability to be completely relaxed and focused and just let your body react without you having to actually do it. I don't hit the throttle consciously. It, it's a subconscious reaction, and then and then it just carries through the whole run. And and you know and 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 again, I've been doing it a long time. You know, one thing I said, I said, don't retire me yet, Ford, because the truth is, the young guns. You know, some of them come out of the box quick, but. In our sport, we learn three seconds at a time. You can't practice, right. can't roll the car out. It's too expensive. And and as I've gotten older and more experienced in these cars, I've gotten better. I've gotten quicker. 
And and I think, you know, uh, the good thing for me is we're a basketball player at 45 years old, although I guess not Tom Brady. I think he's almost 45. He's still going. Uh, God bless him. Uh, but in our sport at 45, you, you know, you're you're at the early side of the best part of your career, and we got a pretty good run, whereas, you know, basketball at 45, you're probably at home on the couch. Um, whereas in our sport, it's much more mental, less physical, and we can perform at an extremely high level, um, you know, very late into our career. Is that why John Force is so competitive these God days? Is, a, is an out-of-body phenom. I don't know how he does it at his age. That for him to get in that car, I was Monday, we were testing, and I was at the start line with Antron Brown, and we both looked at each other and said, can you even imagine how many runs that guy has in that car? And 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 at at his age, it's remarkable. Now, John will be the first to tell you he's fallen off from his prime, but at his age, for him to compete at the level he competes at in that race car, it's unbelievable. I mean, it truly is unbelievable. And people always love to ask me who I like to race the most. And I don't care how old he is. It's John Force. It'll always be John Force. I mean, he is the, you know, the gold standard in our sport. And when you get a chance to pull up next to him and compete against the guy, I mean, if you can't get up for that race, you might as well just hang up your fire suit and go home. Uh, but, yeah, no, he, he still does an exceptional job in that race car. And he's a contender every, every single race, even at his age. Yeah, and he's still wearing the same fire suit, right? <laughs> I think he is. I think he is. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's great. If people want to learn more about your kind of racing and Bob Tasker racing in in particular, where can they go to learn more about it? Well, I mean, you go to NHRA.com. Oh, that's our sanctioning body. It's got great information on it. Uh, or you can look me up on social media. You know, I'm on uh, Tasker three on Twitter, Bob Tasker on um, on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. My kids even got me on what is it called? I think TikTok or whatever. TikTok, it is. Yeah. okay. Uh, so so you know I, I'm big on social media. I like to share a lot of you know behind the scenes experience. So feel free to reach out on on any of the social media uh, uh, platforms and and on the sites obviously as well. Fantastic, Bob. Thanks for taking some time out. We need to take another break. My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. Phone lines are open if you'd like to join us at 800-370-1049. Love to talk to you. We'll be right back. Hi, folks. This is Gerard Moynihan of Moynihan Lumber. If you're replacing the windows in your home, please see the Anderson 400 Series windows on display at any of our three locations in North Reading, Beverly, or Plaston, New Hampshire. The Anderson 400 is attractive, durable, energy efficient, and reasonably priced. Remember, Anderson is the most trusted name in windows. See the Anderson 400 at any of our three locations. That's North Reading, Beverly, or Plaston, New Hampshire, or at MoynihanLumber.com. Moynihan Lumber, we measure up. Are you still waiting to go on a celebrity cruise? Cruising is one of today's most popular vacations. If you've never been on a celebrity cruise ship, now is the time. Call Rick Carlson from Cruise Planners of Hyannis. Don't book online yourself and risk overlooking those small details when you can have help from Rick and Cruise Planners. He will take care of everything and will find you the best prices and vacation just for you. Get out there on a celebrity cruise and have the perfect experience with no extra charge. Go to CruisePlannerTravel.com. That's CruisePlannerTravel.com.
Welcome back to the Car Doctor program on North Shore 104.9. Joining us is Esteban Plaza Jennings, brand manager for Bronco. Recently, Ford introduced a Sasquatch edition of the Bronco. Esteban, good morning, and tell us about this version of the Bronco named after the legendary forest creature. Sure, yeah. So for the reintroduction of Bronco, we knew it had to be a super credible off-road vehicle. So um, that's kind of where the Sasquatch package came from. And we knew pretty early on when we were developing the vehicle that we wanted to have 35-inch tires available for customers. And so that's what our Sasquatch package is. It's got um, the biggest tires available. Um, it also has front and rear locking differentials. And it has our upgraded Haas suspension system with Bilstein position-sensitive dampers. So it's an awesome package that packs a lot of punch uh, off-road. And uh, tell us about what is under the hood of the Sasquatch Bronco. Is there any modifications to engine, transmission? Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, there's no modification to engine or transmission. It does come standard with our advanced 4x4 system, so our upgraded transfer case. Um, and that allows customers to have uh, automatic 4x4 functionality. Um, and then it also comes standard with an upgraded final drive ratio. So it has our, our tallest final drive ratio, which is a 4.7. Well, it's interesting you say that there's no engine difference between that and the standard Bronco, which tells me the standard Bronco has a pretty robust drivetrain if you can put 35-inch tires on it and sort of, you know, mud and mountain crawling ability in the Sasquatch version. Yeah, I mean, we have uh, two engines available on Bronco. We have a 2.3 liter inline four EcoBoost, and then we have our 2.7 liter twin turbo V6 EcoBoost. So we do have um, some great powertrain offerings for customers. And what we're really excited about um, and what we're announcing at the LA Auto Show and showing off is that for the 22 model year, we are going to have the manual transmission available for Sasquatch fires. In that whole realm of save the manuals, uh, exactly. Ford, Ford is coming out with a manual transmission version, which I would think that uh, people that are looking for off-road vehicles, and I'm, a, I'm absolutely an off-road novice, so for me, um, I like the electronic systems in the vehicle that take me from somebody who's going to get stuck in the snow to somebody who can, you know, really, really go off-road and just let the computer electronics take over. But the idea of a manual transmission version uh, where the driver has a little bit more control is, I got to think, pretty exciting for some folks. Certainly, we have a, a fair number of diehard enthusiasts um, from our Bronco enthusiasts. So, it's uh, great to have a product offering for them. And, and you know, for 21 model years, Sasquatch was auto only. And we just got heaps of requests to add the manual transmission offering to Sasquatch. So we, we took that back to engineering and we figured out how to make that combination uh, work for us. And now we're offering in the 22 model year. No, it, sound, it sounds exciting. And... Uh, the idea, again, the idea that this vehicle has, you know, the off-road capability, the on-road capability, and that twin-turbo 2.7-liter engine uh, is all about torque. And uh, uh, where and that's what you want to go off-road. And the, the great thing about our manual is that it's a seven-speed manual. And so it actually has a crawler granny gear 
that you can use when you're, you know, really need to creep along at low speeds or when you're in very technical obstacles off-road. I'm always one of those, again, because I'm sort of a novice, I always sort of, you know, went into the went into off-road uh, to the point of getting stuck and then tried to go into four-wheel drive or low or extra low or whatever it is to get moving. So the idea that you have this um, very low first gear that literally you and I'm sure you wouldn't recommend it, but you could get out of the vehicle and walk next to it. It sounds like it's that kind of low gear. Yeah. I mean, you could definitely creep along at, you know, very low sub five mile an hour easily. Yeah. Which it, it kind of leaving the idea of, you know, when you're off road, the only one, only thing you want to leave is, you know, footprints in your path or whatever the case is and do no damage. Uh, the idea of going at that very low, um, low speed so as um as slow as necessary and as or as slow as necessary as fast as you need to i guess sort of fits right in with that so it makes a lot of sense when will people start to see the 2022 bronco and like a lot of ford products today are they sold out through the next year or is it possible to order a 2022 great questions um so 22 model year um will start shipping out to customers um in january so they'll be in, in customer driveways very early next year. You can still, so we have a backlog of orders um, for Bronco and we're working through those as quickly as we can to build those. If, if someone doesn't have an order in place for Bronco, but they still want a Bronco, um, that we recommend that they go see their local dealer and they can place an order for a Bronco. But, um, you know, especially if they're trying to get um, a Bronco with a lot of the, the hot commodities that everyone wants, right? Like we're, we're very oversubscribed on Sasquatch and um, our most capable trim series. Um, it's going to be a pretty good wait for those folks. So, so get your orders in early. Yeah, definitely. Um, don't wait. <laughs> don't wait. There you go. And for uh, if people want more information, maybe they're just curious at this point. Uh, does Bronco have its own little portion of Ford's website or just go to Ford, Ford.com and learn a little bit more from there? Yeah, uh, there's a, obviously a Bronco building price where they can go um, look at different options, like different options and capabilities. The whole website's built out as well if they just want to read about features and whatnot. And then um, we have um, an independent Bronco community that was started um, with the launch of Bronco called Bronco Nation. So that's like a whole forum and blog um, place where customers can go to check that out as well. And I understand, is there still a Bronco off-road school? If you buy a Bronco, can you still go to off-road school? Yeah, yeah. Their Bronco off-rodeo is um, definitely still a thing. Um, and the great thing about Bronco off-road, so there's four locations, um, Las Vegas, Nevada, Moab, Utah, Austin, Texas, and New Hampshire. And customers can attend, you, you qualify for off rodeo, um, it's included with the purchase of every Bronco, and you can attend before you take delivery of your Bronco. So while you wait, sounds fantastic, Esteban. I want to thank you for taking a little time on your Saturday. Thank you very much. So until next week, make sure you wear your seatbelt, drive safely, be good to your car, and if you see emergency vehicles by the side of the road, slow down or move over and save lives. Talk to you all next week. Bye bye.